Do you ever play hide and seek? With Andrew? I know that you two do, and I think it's strange. Where we would play you, it with the dogs. Where would you play hide and seek in your house? I'm just thinking. Yeah, you couldn't really. Huh. Except for hiding behind doors. That's a that's a deal breaker for me. I'd in have to house? get a new house. <laughs> there needs to be plenty of hiding spots. Also for when murderers come. Ben and Rosie really want a pool in their new place. Same. I know you do too. I find that fascinating. I don't like swimming in front of other people. Right. <laughs> I want to swim in the privacy of my own company. Yeah, I just have no desire for a pool. Mm. I'd sooner get like a spa than a pool. That is disgusting. Really? I think spas are gross. Because they're hot? Yeah, and other people are in them. Like, just have a bath. I love baths. Josephine. How are you, Ruth? I'm great. How are you? Very well, thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to My Favourite Musical. It's a podcast. That's right. This is episode 37. Amazing. I know. This is the podcast where we tell you about our favourite musicals. That's it. That's the whole pitch. That's it. Buckle up. That's Ruth. That's Josephine. Yeah, we're your hosts and here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any apologies? I don't. Do you? (laughs) No. I have nothing to apologise for. In life. Generally. Yeah. That's not true. I have a lot to apologise for, <laughs> just not for this podcast. <laughs> oh, God, I'm a terrible person. Did you have a good Christmas? Did, did you? Yes. We are. This is our first time we're recording post-Christmas, so that's why you're listening to this at home, us talking about Christmas. Yes, it was it's just now Christmas. quite a bit after Christmas for you. <laughs> but in our world, it's the day after Christmas. It's Boxing Day. Mm. Yes. Yes, had a good Christmas. Christmas is good. Yeah. yeah. Families. Yay. Yay. Um, What's your spotlight? Okay, so I've got an article from HowlRound. You went to HowlRound. I did. Well, actually, it actually came up in a Google search I was making. <gasps> That's I've and been it to banging be an on about this from website. HowlRound. I have been on there a couple of times, though. It's good, isn't it? Yes, you keep recommending it, and so I've read quite a few articles on there. Tell me what it was. So this was actually an article from 2015. Yes, but it just really resonated. Like it's. It, all I keep discovering as we talk about the reckoning of you know the theatre in general to do with treatment of artists of colour and, and, you know, diversity Diversity, and all these sorts of things. All I keep thinking is there have been people that have been saying this since day one that none of us have really listened to. I love how we're like. me. Like, like, I mean, I, and I consider myself to be a fairly, you know, uh, woke person, if you want to use that term. But But just when we're talking from such a position of privilege. Exactly. Not that there's no excuse for it. And that's why we do this spotlight. Um, in our podcast, but like we we were guilty of it too. Yeah, and so yes, this is it's great that people are now having much broader discussions. Yeah, but this is not a new. No. this is not a new thing. This is not new, a new issue. And even the points that have been being made. So this is yeah. an article that's called "Unpacking Diversity in Musical Theatre," and like I said, it was so it was written in September two thousand and fifteen on HowlRound, and it's by Michael R. Jackson, who wrote the show "A Strange Loop" that won the yeah. Pulitzer Prize for Drama this year. <clears throat> I've read this article a few times. Have you? Yeah, it's a really good and one. it's just. It's so spot on for everything that we've been discussing, you know, in 2020 to do with um, our industry. And, you know, it's the biggest thing, of course, is that it's it's not just about casting. It's about systems. It's about the people in positions of power and the fact that they are all white, 
straight men, you know, like um, in middle age, you know, this is, this is the whole thing. And, and it's, this is what we've really reckoned with this year. And of course, as I said, it's been saying for you. So I've got a couple of quotes from it that I just really loved. So the first is, if our most pressing concern are the diversity numbers, then we're missing the point. Casting should be part of a larger project that aims to decenter whiteness as the primary reference point in the stories non-white bodies populate. Mm. I think that that's amazing. I think that that's such a good point. And this other quote that I love, I question why it is that the drum beats so urgently for the diversity in individual shows as opposed to the diversification of the entire institution responsible for producing these shows. I question why the drum beats so urgently for diversity within the individual shows as opposed to, say, lots of all black musicals, all mm. trans women of colour musicals, all immigrant musicals, etc. Mm, yeah. yeah. I just think that those are both. Just great points. Salient points. Yeah, and that was in 2015. 2015, more than five years ago. Yeah, yes. Yeah. God, that's good. So anyway, I've linked to that article. Thank you. And I just, he's obviously just such an important voice. Yes, and I really can't wait to see what else he does. Yeah, I mean, I'm really hopeful that A Strange Loop does go to Broadway once it reopens. And I think that, you know, fucking winning the Pulitzer Prize is um, a pretty big reason why it should. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's really awesome. And my understanding was that, there was interest for it after yeah. it's off Broadway run, but there just wasn't a theatre available at the time. Yeah, that's actually relevant for our episode today, yeah. which I will talk about further. But yeah, fingers crossed for that. Yeah. If Broadway ever reopens. What is your spotlight on, my dear? My spotlight is about Richard Simons. Okay. Mm. So, oh, sorry, Ron Simons. Holy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm. I don't even know what's going on with my brain today. Ron Simons, I wanted to actually, I was inspired by you. You've been talking about lately actors, performers in the industry who are performers of colour who are just not getting the recognition yeah. that they would otherwise deserve. Yeah. So I was inspired by that and I was looking at like um, actors and producers and people of colour who have won Tony Awards. Yeah. And his name popped up, Ron Simons' name pop, popped up because he's won four Tony Awards. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, four is a lot. Yeah. So he's an actor and a producer and he's a four-time Tony Award winner. He's won Tonys as producers of of Broadway shows, but he's also an actor and he's been in like quite a range of TV and film and stage productions. Yeah. So go to his Wikipedia page and find out just how little information there is about this guy. Yeah. It's like a stump of a page. It, it doesn't even say, like, what he's won his Tony Awards for. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a disgrace. Um, it isn't, like I said, it's not abundantly clear for what he's won his Tonys. I had to really dig yeah. for that information. And that alone is the problem. Yeah. That's why I'm talking about him. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, he won those awards as a Broadway producer of plays and also he produces film projects. Um, Ron Simons has a production company called Simon Says Entertainment which works to create theatre and screen productions which focus on topics of race, gender, disabled issues, feminism, elderly people and LGBTQI. Right. So, like, he's all about amplifying minority voices. Yeah. He produced the very successful Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. Okay, yep. Um, and also the revival of Porgy and Bess as well as the play Vanya, Sonia and Masha and Spike. Oh, yeah, I heard that was a great play. Yeah, and the revival of A Streetcar Named Desire yeah. on Broadway. So he's like a proper visionary in terms of his um, production and, yeah, like highly celebrated with his awards but just like not a name anyone knows. Yeah. I mean, I myself fucking called him Richard. I'm so sorry. His name's Ron. So, yeah, Ron Simons and I think he, he's even been in like like quite a few random films, like he was in 27 Dresses as an actor. Right. Like he's just he's got quite a, a bio. Yeah. And no yep. one knows who he is. Yeah, ridiculous. 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 
what's our theatre explained today? We're talking about the concept of the fourth wall. Oh, lovely. Indeed. What is it, Ruth? Well, I mean, essentially it is an invisible imagined wall that separates the actors from the audience, right? Yes. That's the long and short of it. That is. Um, the audience can see through this wall, but the actors as if they the actors act as if they cannot see yes. through the wall. Yes. Yeah. It's it's so funny because as I was thinking about theatre explained this week, um, the fourth wall is something that's as a as a performer, it's just always existed in my world. Yes. But when you actually break it down as a concept, it's quite abstract. It is. Like it's very strange. Well, I also thought it was interesting that a lot of the stuff I read talked about how it, it suggests that it's the fourth wall of the set, right? Like yeah. in a traditional proscenium, you've obviously got the two the, the sides of the stage and then this is the fourth wall, but actually it has nothing to do with the set. No. So as much as that is what it suggests, it's it's just a metaphorical concept. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's completely metaphorical, but it's something that as a theatre goer or a performer, you're yeah. just aware of. Yeah. You just know that it's there. I loved um, – so Stanislavski referred to um, the convention of public solitude. And so the ability to behave as one would in private despite in actuality being watched intently while doing so doing or to be alone in public. Yeah. Like that's what we do on yeah. stage and that's what the fourth wall kind of represents. Yeah. So that you can do that. I love that. Yeah. I think uh, – I could be wrong here, but I think Stanislavski actually really struggled with that because he's all about like – as naturalistic acting yes. as possible and method acting and, like, that idea of public solitude is yeah. sort of the antithesis of what he thought acting really yeah. should be. But well, we can't really separate the fact that as actors we do perform in front of an audience in quite yeah. an unnatural way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I also, of course, from the fourth wall we get the term breaking the fourth wall, yeah. which is any instance in which the performance convention um, is violated basically. Yeah. So this can be done either directly referring to the audience, the pl- like by referring to the play as a play mm-hmm. uh, or the fact that the characters are fictional yeah. essentially. Yeah. And, of course, I love it because you can you can break the fourth wall not just in theatre. Yes. You can break it in film. You can break it in video games. Yes. Like there's all these things that you can do it in. Yeah, and I think it's becoming more – I mean it's – I think theatre and entertainment is cyclical. So, like, we used to have pantomimes or melodrama back in the day that would break the fourth wall and then we got into, like, a very naturalistic sort of removed style. But I think now breaking the fourth wall is coming back. So, like, younger audiences will know that Deadpool, the film, is a really famous example of breaking the fourth wall when Deadpool talks to straight down the camera. That's quite rare in blockbuster films. Yeah. But it's now becoming a little bit more of of normalized. I actually kind of love. I love it. That sort of like meta. I love that. Yeah, me too. I love it in theatre when it isn't a pantomime. Yes. So like I really enjoy when they do that in Edwin Jude, for example. Um, Just talk directly to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, just every now and then just acknowledge the presence of the audience. Man in Chair and Drowsy Chaperone. Yes, Man in Chair does it so well. So yeah, it's it's interesting, but it really made me realise how strange a concept it is. Yeah. When you break it down. And, of course, we talked about it in the Drowsy episode, but the fact that the man in chair is talking to the audience, but then the other actors in the show, <laughs> in the fake Drowsy Chaperone yeah. show... Don't know that he's don't, there. aren't breaking the fourth yeah, wall. That's and, right. yes, don't know that he's there on stage as well. Yeah. Like, it's all these layers of, of sort yeah. of and there's who's a lot aware of, of what. A lot of implied understanding on the part of the audience. Like, you really... I think... 
I think we sometimes forget that audiences are really clever. Yeah. But to sit down in a theatre and understand that level of nuance is quite advanced. Yeah. But audiences do. Like yeah. we are able to suspend so much disbelief in a theatre that we can have one character talk to us and know that we're there and then others not. Like we're able to actually process yeah. that. Yeah. We're not as dumb as sometimes I think we are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, so that's the fourth wall. Nice. Thanks, Ruthie. Do you have any recommendations? No. No. <laughs> I have none. I have like three. That's perfect. Can we pretend that one of them is yes. mine? So I'm I'm currently renovating my house. I'm a dried up husk of a human. <laughs> I really am. Like I don't even I don't do anything except renovate and sleep. The and end. rewatch and Buffy rewatch and Buffy. The West Wing. Read books that I do not even bear recommending here because they're all <laughs> trash. Like like I'm not. Nothing is worthwhile. Oh, dear. So, Ruth, can you recommend something I'm for gonna, me? I'm going to give three and they're all kind of interrelated. <laughs> you would too. You would. It's only that I would, was only going to give two, but one of them is also related to something else. So the first one is a documentary on Netflix called Giving Voice, which is oh about which is about an, the August Wilson monologue competition. This, if, if you said to me, what? How do you describe Ruth in a documentary? <laughs> this is the documentary. Well, no, every little step is that. Every little step, the chorus That's line true. casting documentary That's is true. just like okay. my ultimate film. If you said to me, typify Ruth, teenage Ruth yes. or child Ruth in teenage a documentary. Teenage Ruth was much more obsessed with straight Speaking plays voices. Yes, and, yes, and, yes. Monolo- and particularly monologues yes. than musical theatre is definitely <laughs> this. So, yeah, so it's about the August Wilson, of course, was a very famous African-American playwright, probably the most successful one of all time, I definitely, I would say. Won the Pulitzer twice. Um, but he wrote this series of ten plays that each one takes place in a different decade of the 20th century. I think it's called the um, – century play cycle, 10 century play cycle, something like that. And, um, uh, yeah. And so, uh, this is monologues that people compete to perform, Mm. um, in this big competition in America. And I think, I think if you think you just win prize money, I don't think there's anything else, but, uh, yeah, it's really great. So that's on Netflix. It's called giving voice related to that (laughs) is the film version of Ma Rainey's black bottom, which is one of August Wilson's plays that has been adapted into a film. Yeah. Uh, it was Chadwick Boseman's final performance before his death. Yeah. So that's really obviously quite special. And Viola Davis's plays Ma Rainey. And it's only like an hour and 25 minutes. doesn't take up much of your time. Where can you find that? It's also on Netflix. Wow. So Netflix is, um, I think, I believe has this deal with Denzel Washington. So who produced it. So, but Denzel, of course, was in the film version of Fences, which mm. is also an August Wilson play, yeah. one of the ten. And um, my understanding is that that deal I think was originally maybe with HBO or someone and yeah. now is with Netflix, but the idea is to adapt all of those plays into films. That's fantastic. Yeah, so Marini's Black Bottom, I think that Chadwick Boseman will probably win an Oscar for it um, posthumously. Yeah. Um, but it's quite – it's quite, it's quite an, it's, like I said, it's really short. It's about this um, – blues singer recording an album that's all you really need to know Mm. um yeah so definitely worth watching and then that the giving voice documentary also reminded me of one of my favorite documentaries of all time obviously every little step is one but we've already talked about that on yes we have um but one of my favorite documentaries of all time is called louder than a bomb and it is about a poetry slam competition yeah. also for high school students in Chicago. And I believe you can rent it on Vimeo or oh, buy cool. it on Vimeo. I think that's the – or like buy the DVD. Yeah. Um, but it's not on any streaming platforms, unfortunately. Louder um, than a bomb. 
but louder than a bomb. It is so excellent. These kids do like amazing poetry. And I think slam poetry is really tough. It, it, it is, and this is so. In this case, it's obviously a lot of like un, like sort of underfunded, you know, low income communities in Chicago where it's almost verging on rap. Like that's yeah. the sort of talent that they have. I think, and I've spoken about this with your husband and when we talked about the Hamilton, when we did the Hamilton episode is that I think there's a lot of um, crossover between rap and slam poetry. Yeah. Like I think that is sort of the progression yes, of rap. Exactly. I think that's the sort of level of talent we're talking yeah, about. Exactly. So anyway, <laughs> highly, highly recommend that documentary. Those yeah. are good recommendations. <laughs> I still haven't watched, um, the August Wilson documentary. Um, yeah, you'll love it. And I really, and Shane I'm should going watch it to. Too. He'll love I'll it. I'll definitely too. watch it with Shane. Yeah. yeah. I'm pumped for that. Mm. Now, do you want to tell me about a musical? I do. What is it going to be? This week, I'm talking to you about Once. Oh. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't mind the film. Yeah. I love, well, so like, I love um, Glenn Hansard and, um, his band, The Frames. Like, yeah. I've always been a fan of them. So, like, I was really keen for the film when it came out and I was like, oh, yeah, it's okay. The music is pretty. It's a story about nothing, which I generally love. And I just don't think it needed to be a stage musical. Right. Like, I think that was unnecessary. I haven't seen it, though. Yeah, I was going to ask. I wasn't sure if you came with us. No, and I should have because a good friend of mine was in it. And yeah. I, I feel bad about not going to see it, but I was just not really interested in the show. Yeah. And I continue to not be very interested in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the idea of, I know that generally the performers are not musical theatre performers, but even if you listen to the cast recording, it just seems like musical theatre people trying to be sort of folky indie right. performers. Yeah, yeah. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. So, like, I first fell in love with the film years before the stage show ever existed. Like, it was a film that I saw, probably not at the movies because I think it had a very limited theatrical release, but certainly fairly soon after. Um, it was, like, you know, as soon as it came out on DVD or whatever. Yeah, I feel like something something must have happened where there it sort of came into public consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Well, whatever it was kind was. of a cult. It was kind of a cult hit in that way. It's one of um, my husband Andrew's favourite films mm. and it introduced him to Glenn Hansard. So he didn't uh, necessarily he didn't know, know his music or, no, yeah. beforehand, but Glenn Hansard is now, like, one would of be his, in his top three favourite, yeah. you know, singers, songwriters of all time. Even though he may be problematic? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, it's yeah, it's a bit of a it's, it's a bit oh, of a gray area. A gray area. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was always excited when I heard they were adapting it into a musical because, of course, I love musicals and I loved the film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I've seen the show three times. Um, oh wow! In total, yes, I saw it on Broadway. Yes, I saw and it, you've seen it here. I saw it when they did it in Melbourne originally, oh. and I and I saw it at, at Darlinghurst Theatre Company I think last my year. My singing teacher was in that. In the Melbourne, I think so. Oh, cool! Wasn't wasn't Margie in it? In Melbourne? Oh, oh thought, she might have no, been. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. I think you might be right. Mm. Um, I I really do think it is a a beautiful show. Like yeah. I do. Yeah. So I think it is kind of like what you were saying. It's in the vibe, like we were talking about with the band's visit. Yeah, just it's a small nothing. It, like not a lot really happens. Mm. It's quite slow, but I do think that the journey that you go on and the music throughout the show yeah. is sort of beautiful enough that that. I agree, a, and I love that. It's just it. about yeah. humans being human. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I've, of course, I've always particularly been in love with the song "Falling Slowly," which is like ob- obviously the most famous song from the show and everything. But you know, to the point where I—that's the song I walked down the aisle to when it's Andrew so and I pretty. got married. Like, it is such a beautiful song. Beautiful, yeah. Um, so 
some background on it. So it's a musical based on the 2007 film of the same name by John Carney. He God, wrote I forget and directed that it's it. quite old now. Yeah, yeah, it's like 2007, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so music and lyrics by Glenn Hansard and Marquita Erglova, and they also play guy and girl in the film. Yeah. The book is by Ender Walsh. Ender Walsh is an Irish playwright whose plays include Disco Pigs, and he also wrote, like, he's written lots and lots of plays, and he also wrote the book to... Lazarus, which is the musical of David Bowie's songs yeah. um, that Michael C. Hall was in, yeah. um, which I saw and I had ugh, I had terrible seats. I saw it in London. I had terrible seats and it kind of ruined the experience because I could really not see the stage very well. Oh, it was a sucks. it was a makeshift theatre, like it yeah. was a um, not a it's permanent like a structure, yeah, yeah. like a pop-up theatre. And honestly, I really couldn't see a lot of oh, what was happening. Sucks. And I, I, it just meant that I really – I don't think I got the full experience of the show, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it was quite strange, I'll tell you that. Well, yeah, so is Danny yeah. Bowie. Um, and Ender Walsh also wrote the book to Sing Street, which I've mentioned yep. on here before, was due to go to Broadway uh, before COVID, I think is now postponed for a full year. Mm. So, like, planning to open in tw- even 2022 maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. That was a film too, I think. Yeah, so it? John yeah. Carney was um, – also wrote and directed that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so he was um, the writer and director of the film and he was the basis for the frames. Nice. Uh, only for a period, like they lasted longer than that, but that's how him and Glenn Hansard know each other. Mm. So the frames, as Josephine mentioned, Glenn Hansard was the lead singer yeah. of that of that band. So essentially the story is about an Irish busker who is never named and therefore is just referred to as Guy uh, when you read the script and a young Czech musician and she is also never named and therefore just girl. So they meet on the streets of Not Dublin. Woman. Yes, a woman, sorry. No, yeah, no, why didn't they call her woman? Yeah. I know. We were having this conversation like off mic beforehand Ugh. when people just refer to women as, women girls. as girls. I know. It's, okay. Yeah. Anyway, Carry on. It's a, it's a bugbear. Strike one. Um, so they meet on the streets of Dublin. Uh, on the streets of Dublin. I know. I was just thinking that as I wrote it. Oh, I love that So song. he's going to a breakup at the time and basically is like, I'm going to give up music. Yeah. Um, and she, of course, sees how talented he is and, you know, does not want that to happen. So they decide to record an album together and, I mean, basically it's fall It's such in- a decision. Yeah. It's a really that, big step. I mean, and it is kind of framed like that in the yeah. movie, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of like, oh, we're just going to do this yeah. and see what happens. And it's a huge undertaking. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and they do definitely obviously have a connection, yeah, fall in chemistry, love. Yeah, Fall in love to some respect, but they sort of both realise it wouldn't work out. Mm. I mean, he does try it on. She says, no, she's got a daughter. He's, it's clear that he is also still has feelings for his ex-girlfriend. So nothing actually happens in the end. Yeah. Um, and it basically all takes place over the course of a few days and is really just about the chance meeting of these two people, Yeah. the creation of their music together and then them going their separate ways. Like that is the yeah. whole film, right? Yeah. And musical. Um, it's quite true to the film in that way. So some background. So there was a workshop production of the musical at the American Repertory Theatre ART in Cambridge, Massachusetts in April 2011 before it played off-Broadway at the New York Theatre Workshop uh, from 15th of November 2011 to 15th of January uh, 2012. So it then transfers to Broadway. Like it's a massive hit off-Broadway. It transfers to Broadway and begins previews at the Bernard B. Jacobs Theatre from 28th of February 2012 and it runs until the 4th of January 2015. So it's 1,188 performances. That is huge. Yeah, it's a massive, massive hit. I had hit. no idea it was yeah, that big. I, and to be honest, I had kind of forgotten. Like, oh, my God. As much as I – I would have said like maybe 100. 
Oh, really? Well, yeah, like I knew it was successful, but not like it's such a small show that I didn't think it would be that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, for yeah, three years basically. Fuck. Um, it recouped its $5.5 million capitalisation in just under six months. Huh. And at the time the producers made the claim that the pace was faster than any other new musical in more than a decade. Wow. Yeah. I read an article that kind of said like mm, actually Spelling Bee was probably quicker and there was a couple of others that, you know, but that was, the, that was what the producers said at the time. So yeah. certainly very quick. So it received 11. Tony Award nominations at the 2012 Tonys. Did it really? And it won eight Tony Awards. Oh, shit. I know. Okay. I feel like history in my head is not correct. Yeah. So it won won Best Musical. Uh, It beat Leap of Faith. Nice work if you can get it and Newsies, which I actually thought was. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, Newsies, you know, obviously very successful as well. It won Best Book. Quite a big year actually. Uh, yeah. yeah, leading actor for Steve Kazee, who yeah. played Guy. Uh, desk <clears throat> Direction, Orchestrations, Scenic Design, Lighting Design and Sound Design. Wow. Yeah. And then following a limited engagement at Dublin's Gaiety Theatre from um, February to March 2013, the show made its West End debut at the Phoenix Theatre in London. Uh, Previews began 16th of March 2013 and it ran to 21st of March 2015. So, again, over two years on the West End. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. There have been productions all over the world since, including three US tours. And the Australian, interestingly enough, the Australian professional production only ended up playing Melbourne. So it was a mm. it was a co-pro sort of with Melbourne Theatre Company. Yeah. But my understanding is that they did kind of expect it to be successful enough to tour. I remember it being quite a scandal that it sort of yeah. got shut down earlier. Which does, like, it's not like that they had, they hadn't announced Sydney dates or anything no, like that. but it just was like implied yes. that that would happen. As often happens in Australia, they'll just sort of announce one city and then if it goes well, they'll do more. And certainly that was, I think, the expectation with that show so it was a real shame that it didn't play any other cities in australia Mm. Uh, and that was it was a great production Mm. in melbourne uh it did end up playing in sydney in 2019 so that was its sydney professional premiere of darlinghurst theater company yeah and they've recently announced that that production will be touring touring australia in 2021 oh really i didn't know that so um so they were eligible for so here in australia a lot of the government funding sort of with covid has been they call it a rise grant um and that is like funding specifically to get productions off the ground now that covid's um well hopefully you know um like getting towards the end here in australia and so yeah they were eligible for a rise grant and so they're doing quite a big tour next year so you will hopefully be able to get to see it i would definitely see it if if it's coming back um so a little bit about the film that it's based on. So the yes, movie please. was based on writer and director John Carney's own experiences. And although Glenn Hansard was always due to write the songs for the film, it, it actually he wasn't going to be in it. Mm. So he was always writing the songs and then um, – but but Cillian Murphy had been in one of – Cillian. Um, oh, Cillian Murphy, sorry. Mm. Oh, isn't that funny? In my head it's always been Cillian. Yeah, I'm sure it's Cillian. Okay. Yeah. Cillian Murphy has always um, had worked with John Carney before he was famous, yeah. like in some indie film. Yeah, I think film. they were buddies or something, weren't they? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so he was going to be the – he was going to be Guy. Um, and then a Glover was hired, Makita Glover, when she was only 17. She'd previously known Glenn Hansard, like, as a musician since she was 13 years old and they'd made an album together <laughs> the previous year before she was hired. Yeah. So Cillian Murphy didn't want to do the fi- – well – it's not actually clear, but a lot of people have said that he didn't want to do the film opposite a non-actor, mm. like because she'd never acted before kind of thing. And so he sort of bowed out, didn't think it was for him, and that's when Glenn Hansard agreed to do it. So they just got two non-actors instead. That's right. But actually – It's I, part I of the beauty this, of the film. Yeah, I read this interview with John Carney where he was like um, – <laughs> 
<clears throat> originally they were thinking they would hire two actors who could sort of sing mm. and then make it that. But instead it, it was like, let's get two people who can sing the shit out of this yeah. and really are kind of the people that yeah. we want to be, yeah. like the characters. And then, yeah, just sort of, and mm. they shot it all guerrilla style. Like there's heaps of stuff that's long lens. So yeah. people on the streets didn't even know if a, yeah. a movie was being filmed It does at the time. just look like this is happening. That's right. We're just watching this And happen. it really has that vibe when you watch the film as yeah. well. So filming took 17 days and it only cost 112,000 euros, most of which was part of a grant from the Irish, like the Irish film, like from the oh, government yeah, like kind a, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, It ended up grossing nearly $9.5 million in North America huh. and over $20 million worldwide. Oh, so shit. when you talk about cost versus yeah, that's a good investment. <laughs> gross, it is like, and yeah, and I think all of them took just a percentage of. Yeah, they would have had the yeah, back end. So yeah. they would have earned quite a bit from it. Woo. So it won the 2007 Independent Spirit Award for Best Foreign Film. Yeah. And, it, and the song Falling Slowly won the 2008 Academy Award for Best Original Song, which of is course. just. And I have to say, like, definitely YouTube their acceptance speeches. I think we've talked about it before when we put Falling Slowly on a mixtape, but yeah. basically, Glenn Hans- Hansard makes makes an acceptance speech and then the orchestra starts playing and so Marquita Oglova like doesn't get to speak and actually they realise and stop playing but it's too late. They've already walked off the stage. Yeah. So John Stewart basically who was hosting that year uh, at the after Oscars. After the ad break was like. After the ad break was like, we're just going to get her back on and both Glenn Hansard and Marquita Oglova's speeches are quite incredible. Like yeah. at the end he's just like, make art, make art and yeah. like it's, oh, they're just such oh, amazing people. They anyway. really are. They really yeah. are. So in terms of when we hinted at the fact that maybe Glenn Hansard was a little bit problematic. So Glover and Hansard had already been making some music together for a few years under the name The Swell Season. That's what they called themselves when they performed together. But it wasn't until a promotional tour for the film. So after they'd filmed the the actual movie uh, and we're doing a promo tour that Glenn Hansard and Marquita Oglova started a romantic relationship. Yeah. So by that stage, and, and that romantic relationship did last a few years. So by that stage, I believe she was about 19 and, and he, he was, was what, 37. 30, yeah. Yeah. So mm. he's like 18 years older than her. Yeah. And I think the thing that people think is it's obviously quite she, icky is that he'd known her since she was 13. Yes. That's right. So yeah. this, it, like there's actually nothing wrong with that age that's gap. Right. It there's was nothing wrong with It with was that a consensual she was of, of age yep. and all that sort of thing. It's just that, yes, he they've been working together since she was very young, a yes. child really. Yeah, so. exactly. So I think people just find that a little bit icky, you Yeah, know? but there's been no, I mean, there's been. No, no laws broken. And there's no hint that anything happened before. No. Oh, she was of that's age. right. Like, we're not right. saying anything like that. And in that. fact, like they've been clear that it also didn't happen. It didn't even happen when they were making the film. Like yeah. it happened after that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, although, like I've seen in interviews, John Carney was like, "You could tell that they were falling in love making the film. It's one of the things that makes it's the film also, so special." That's right. It yeah. feels very real. Yeah. And and even Glenn Hansard is referred to in interviews. He's like, "I clearly felt." drawn to her when they were making the film but he's like I've just I'd always he did like I'd always seen her as a child yeah. you know like that was my relationship with her yeah. so yeah so uh, they, I mean it lasted for a few years they're both I believe with other people now it's yeah all, you know wasn't there some sort of subsequent thing was it a documentary that came after the film a, like about their like being on tour or something oh really I'm sure that oh uh, I don't think I've seen that I'm gonna have to look into that because I'm sure there's like a documentary that is separate to the film but is like while they're a couple and they're touring and, oh. it, and it actually showcases some of their problems in their relationship. Oh, interesting. Oh, I, am I making this up? I'm going to Google it right now. Okay. Keep talking. The funny thing was uh, <clears throat> when like when they were talking about 
making the film is they never had, obviously, obviously it was made for such a small amount and they did not expect it to, uh, you know, no one expects something to be the success that it is mm. like that. But they were talking about how actually their original plan was just to sell it as merch for their shows, like for their own, like at the frames yeah. gigs and stuff like that. And that was their plan. Like Gosh. it wasn't, you know, and it was only the, it wasn't supposed that to be the primary into, work. Yeah, so it was like, I think it was at like the Galway Film Festival or something like that. Yeah. And a guy from Sundance was at that film festival and was like, we want this to be in Sundance. And then it was, a, it won an audience award at Sundance. Yeah. And at Sundance, Fox offered them <sighs> money to like $500,000 or whatever to distribute it. Like yeah. that was, that was all how it happened. So yeah, there was definitely no knowledge that it was going to be the hit that it was. Um, the title of the, of the film. And then obviously thus the musical was actually originally supposed to refer to them sleeping together, but only once hmm. that, that was the the idea. But then um, neither Glenn Hansard or Marquita or Glover thought that it was, it was like, oh, that's so predictable yeah, that they like actually that. get together. I just took it as being like, this is just a moment in time. So um, origi- John Carney now says that he feels it refers to, so Irish men and women he would encounter in bars. They say, once I do this, then it'll be great, but they never do it. It's a great Irish tradition of vacillating, which I thought was I love was great. That. Yeah, so that's what he believes it now sort of refers to. All right, so there is a documentary. It's called The Swell Season oh, based cool. on yeah. their duo. It's from 2011. Um, it's basically after the success of the film Once and after they won the Academy Award, Glenn Hansard and Makita Glover become known all around the world. Hansard's been touring for many years. The experience is new for her. She doesn't feel like comfortable with all the attention yeah. and it's like the the problems in their relationship yeah, wow. due to that. So, yeah. I, I may have even already seen it like years ago. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll yeah. have to rewatch it otherwise. Hmm. Um, so Andrew actually got through quite a couple of callbacks when they were auditioning in the Australian he would professional be so production. Good for it. Yeah. So they were basically looking for non music as as Josephine mentioned, yeah. like it's often non musical theatre people. Yeah. Who performers. Can play instruments. And so they were yeah, looking for musicians who could sing basically. Yeah. And um and he also looks quite Irish. He's got a big red beard. He does. Uh, which is quite He's appropriate. He's got a beautiful voice as well. Yeah. And he's a multi instrumentalist. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um so yeah he got a few through a few callbacks. So that was nice. Um also this is only a little bit of a spoiler, but if you want to watch the rest of how i met your mother just don't listen to the the next 30 who seconds who wants to watch that no one <laughs> but Kristen um Miliotti, who played the original girl on broadway is the mother in how i met your mother oh yeah so she's in it for the whole season so you find out who the mother is yeah she's in it for like the entire final season oh okay of that show yeah right yeah so she's like it's not a spoiler in that sense because literally like she's in it for a really long time you know what i mean but if you didn't know who the mother was exactly right. Um, the choreographer of the Broadway production, John Tiffany, he mostly does movement for plays. And I think it's a beautiful style that really adds to the piece. So he did Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Um, and he also did the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Oh, yeah. And th- th- just the movement in both of those plays is beautiful. Yeah. So celebrated. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, the director, John Tiffany. Oh, I'm getting confused now. Was he maybe the director and choreographer? Anyway, he also was directed Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and he co-wrote Cursed Child with a pl- Jack Thorne, I think the playwright's name is, and, J- and J.K. Rowling. Came, they all came up with the story and then they wrote the show. Um, 
So a couple of talking points. It's a rare example, this show, of a film musical being adapted for the stage. Mm. Like that doesn't happen very often, right? No. So uh, some other examples of this are mostly, say, like the Disney the Disney animated musicals obviously yeah. uh, are an example of this. And then it used to happen a bit with Golden Age musicals. Yes, when like that, Singing in the Rain. Exactly. Singing yeah. in the Rain is a good example. Um, but, yeah, like more recently it's, you know, obviously – now that so many musicals are based on films, it's really well, who's not an making, example anymore. Like a film musical, who's making that exactly? You know? Like, well, La La Land, I guess, is the only thing I can think of. Like, and if I they suppose had... Sing Street is an example as well. Yes, that's a good example. Like yeah. that's happening now. And I guess if once they make The Greatest Showman, if they make that as a stage show, still isn't that, that just what the world needs? <laughs> well, it'll be successful, won't it? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but then, so in more recent years. Um, like Fame, Footloose, Newsies, yeah. Xanadu, they're all examples of that. And yeah. then the producers. So there are still more than that, but I just I thought it was interesting because there's – It's just not the typical movement. It's not movement. a typical yeah. Yeah, journey for something. So, you know, sort of in summary, like I'm still I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about this as a musical. Like kind of mm. what Josephine was saying, as a musical in comparison to the film, mm. especially when you compare it directly. So I think that in adapting it to the stage, it has made it a more, more, more palatable for a lot of people. Like I don't think the film is to everyone's tastes, for mm. example, whereas I think – and even honestly like the, mu- the musical is quite slow for a musical, but mm. the movie is even slower yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Um, the film just has that, yeah, like I said, like a really slow indie vibe and it is basically just the two of them on screen for most of the film. A lot of the dialogue is improvised, you know, it's yeah. got that real feel to it. However, in adapting it to the stage, I would say it gets a little twee yeah. and like on the nose with some of its messages and the themes and things like that, that the film is just a lot more subtle about. This is one of my biggest worries and I haven't seen it so I can't really judge but I yeah. just imagine if you musical musicify it or whatever yeah. you want to call it, it does become just a little bit a little bit shit in like let's push a romantic story or let's yeah. like I just imagine that that's what would happen. So, for example, like I know like one of Andrew's biggest issues with it is just that obviously you then have you, – you have a – the rest of the cast mm. and you have to include them, You're just right? Hanging around. It's not like it's just the two of them yeah. all the time. Whereas, yeah, like in the in the musical, there's lots of these other characters that also play. And, and so you you don't have that organic feel of just people picking up instruments and playing them and just the two of them. Yeah. And is there that real sense of like we're just making up storylines for these people? Um, is there that sense? All that they do is explore her family a little bit more. Oh, yeah. And the sort of dynamics of so you've got like a lot of these sort of check immigrants in, mm. in Ireland, which apparently was a really big thing around that time. Yeah, right. Uh, lots of Eastern European immigrants were living in, in, in Dublin. Yeah, and, right. yeah, Yeah, so, like, that's kind of where that's come from. Um, so that's that's all I would say. I don't – it doesn't distract from the main story. And, and there's stuff like – when they go and apply for the bank loan to make the film, to make the, the album, sorry, mm. um, like that's a whole song and the guy's like a, you know, a, a much bigger character than I think in the film. Yeah, right. Things like that. Yeah, maybe not necessary. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, necess- yeah, it's, it's so hard to say, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, it just doesn't feel as organic as when you're watching for two people who wrote the songs, performed them, like in the film, right? Yeah. Like that's 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 just the long. We can't really it. beat that. However, 
I just, I see them as different pieces of art, right? Like, and I do love them both in different ways. Cause some of say like the vocal arrangements in the musical are stunning, stunning, just beautiful, you know, yeah. and you don't get that when it's only two people it's like you do it's when it's a group true. of, a group of people singing like yeah. that. So, and just something about that music when you add in like more harmonies to what is already just stunning music. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It's so rich. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. So um, I'm going to link to both the film soundtrack and the original Broadway cast are both on Spotify. So I'll link to both of those. They're both worth worth listening to. So a few gateway songs. So I'm I'm putting Falling Slowly, obviously. It's of the, the famous song in the film. How could you not? I'm actually going to link to the film version, not the musical Correct. version, because nothing beats that film version. It's just too sung in the musical, yes, I think. It's too it is. I, I, and, and I just, that film version is perfect. There's just no beating it. It is. There's no, you can't beat it. I'm sorry. Um. I'm also going to link to If You Want Me, which oh, is yeah. um, one of her um, sort of songs that she sings about him. I just think it's like I feel like we focus on the him a lot as a character yes. and it's important that she gets a bit of focus as well um, and it's a beautiful song. Yeah. And then I'm also going to link to at the end of the musical, so there's this fo- Irish folk song called Gold that's in both uh, the movie and the musical and at the end of the musical they sing it as like an a cappella um, the whole cast mm. and it is so I, I'm obsessed with this song I was it's, it's like actually you get shivers not, when you listen it's the only song that they didn't write that's yeah. in the show so it's it's like a traditional it's traditional yeah yeah or, I, or at least it's sung a lot I don't th- I think it's contemporary I don't oh, think yeah. it's an old just song, popular and but Ireland, just very yeah. popular yeah um and yeah and I also thought it was so I'm gonna link to that but yeah it's really interesting because a lot of the songs were old frame songs that mm. are in the in the movie like they they, they weren't necessarily written for the film mm. some of them were but not all of them so yeah it's that real mishmash of oh, of different it. things but yeah it's just great the musical style is so cool like it's very yes. indie very sort of folky but also exactly. a bit rocky like it's just really beautiful but yeah, my big, I guess my biggest like surprise was just how successful it was as a show I just didn't quite realize that in my head I thought like oh the film was super successful but the musical maybe just m- missed the mark like like which is just do, not really right? it just didn't happen yeah. clearly now we know yeah wow. exactly that's so that's cool. once yeah thanks Ruth no worries I will see it next year if it if it's coming. yeah well I'll definitely go again if you're keen to say it <clears throat> yeah we'll do it it's yeah. a date it's a date do you want to hear about a musical I do I'm going to preface this with saying I put this on the list a long time ago and I think I regret putting it on the list. Really? But I'm going to talk about it anyway. Okay. Oh, maybe I don't regret it. Here, it's Beetlejuice. Okay. Okay. So I think apart from Town, this is the most recent show I've talked about here. Yeah. Um, and I, I do appreciate this show. I appreciate it. Yeah. I really like it because I'm starting to realise that sometimes I just really like movie adaptations and just showy like – gratuitous entertainment yeah and I think this is just one of those like showy probably a bit silly what do you think's another example of that <sighs> like gratuitous sort of showiness yeah, like based on movies you know ridiculous mm. I'm trying to think if there's another well see like a little part of me sort of enjoys spam a lot right I like spam a lot and like a small mm, I can't really say I like Shrek that's a lie Oh, I quite like but, Shrek. But like there are parts of I Shrek think, that I think I there like. are some good songs in Shrek. But you know, it's that sort of thing where I'm like, yeah, I can I can enjoy the silliness of this entertainment. And did you always love the film? Of what? Of Beetlejuice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love the film. Like do you think that that's I cuz I I mean I think we've talked about it before but like on Lindsay Ellis um on her podcast, oh, yeah. like she was clearly a massive fan. Yes. 
of the film, of the film. and I think that that led to her loving the show. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about the sort of fans of the show and I think they're not typical musical theatre fans. Definitely, yeah. Um, but I also do think this is a typical musical, like in, in yes. sort of a blockbustery way. Yeah. Um, I could also liken it to, oh, what was I just about to say, like the Adams Family. Yep. And yes. it's got yep. that sort of aesthetic as well that is really – it's like in your face, cartoony. sensory. Yeah, it's cartoony, yeah. and it's really sort of making use of a lot of musical theater tricks. Yeah, like stage tricks that, like, lots of color and lots of um, special effects that is cool to watch. Yeah, and so I appreciate that at times. Yeah, and it's interesting because last week I talked about a very small show, but like, yeah, I don't know. This I think it has a place in the yes. world. Yeah, definitely. And I think this is an example of a clever, a clever version of that. Yeah, like just not. Yeah. Mm, not like Disney Fied, for example. Yes. So anyway, um, Beetlejuice is based on the 1988 Tim Burton film of the same name. The second Tim Burton film to become a musical that I've covered here after Big Fish. Mm. It's just so random. As I read that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've, I've written this sentence before. <laughs> um, Beetlejuice is a book musical with music and lyrics by Australia's Eddie Perfect. Indeed. And, yeah, a book by Scott Brown and Anthony King. The tagline of it is the musical, the musical, the musical. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Love it. Okay, the plot. Actually, do you want to tell me what do you think of the musical? So I saw the very first preview mm. on Broadway. Yeah. Um, which in some ways I regret. Yeah. I, I, like I've talked about it before. There's a few times. If I can see a first preview, I will go. Like if I happen yeah. to be there when a first preview or something is on. Well, it's good for comparison, but you didn't then see sort of anything after that, did you? Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like I, like mm. if it had still been running, I would have loved to have seen it again because I, I don't know how much changed. You yeah. Know? I don't know. But I just found there was elements of it that I liked, yeah. but I just – it didn't grab me. Yeah. I found – the pace, um, but again, pacing is one of the things that does improve. Yes. You know, so it's That's really right. hard to say, you yeah. know. Um, and this is, I think, a show that relies heavily on the pace being spot on. Yes, exactly. I mean, Alex Brightman, I think, is a fucking genius. He really is. Yeah, who plays Beetlejuice. Probably not my style, though, of performer. Oh, interesting. Like, not a person yeah. I just love to watch. Yeah. But yes, um, a genius. But like, I mean, the energy required yeah. to do that role. I mean, yeah. he was obviously also – he was Dewey in, in School, School of Rock, Rock in the yeah. original. And I saw – because we did the merch for that, I saw him do that several times. Yeah. And he was, I mean, so amazing. Yeah, I don't know where you get that level of energy No, from. and, like, his voice is so good yeah. and yeah. – And, yeah, so I really do appreciate his performance. But And I really – I mean, I loved the set and yeah. I love like, – I Design um, was very David good. David Corrins, of course, Hamilton. Yeah incredible set and the costumes and everything yeah. and um uh what's her name who plays miss argentina leslie kritzer oh yeah was stole the show for me yeah. like she was uh, incredible but yeah i just as a show it just, just didn't, it quite... didn't really quite do it for me yeah yeah and i think that seems to be sort of like pervading particularly for early in the run of the show yeah. like that seems to be an agreed upon sort of yeah. reaction yeah okay so the plot Look, it's the same as the film. <laughs> we are introduced to Beetlejuice, a very old demon who speaks to the audience, so he breaks the fourth wall quite a lot. Um, and Beetlejuice is invisible to humans unless they specifically summon him by saying his name three times. And he, like, wants to break the curse so he can, like, be in the world. That's yeah. sort of his main motivation. Um he has a plan to make that happen, to be free. He finds a newly deceased couple and intercepts the usual trajectory like of death by coaching them to scare the new tenants of their house. Um, shenanigans ensue. Eventually Beetlejuice realises that there are better things in life than beating some curse. Great songs happen in the middle. That's pretty much it. Like, yeah. There's not really a moral. There's not really anything that, yeah. 
there are cool characters in there. I've really glossed over a lot of them. But, yeah, watch the film. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's the, the same, same story. It's yeah. the same story. Um, so background. Okay, Eddie Perfect is a wonderful person we haven't discussed yet. Indeed. Can you believe it? So Eddie Perfect is from Melbourne and he studied at the prestigious WAPA. Um, he got a Bachelor of Arts there. WAPA is the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. It's probably Australia's premier theatre yeah. program, musical I would theater, say. Musical theatre, certainly. Yeah, definitely musical theatre. Um, he graduated in 2001. He's known for, like, political comedy and he's been in a lot of well-known Australian TV shows. Like, he is a straight actor as well. Yeah. Um, and in 2008 he wrote Shane Warne, the musical, yes. which is a satire for which he won a Helpman Award, yeah. which is the Australian sort of equivalent of the Tony Awards. He moved to New York in 2015 to pursue a career on Broadway where he met um, John Bizzetti, who was Tim Minchin's agent. So Eddie Perfect and Tim Minchin are, I would say, contemporaries. Yeah, and, and good, really good, good friends. friends. Yeah. yeah, so like a similar sort of style of, of um, musical comedy and yeah. political satire, like that's their both Like their if you've ever watched... I think the doco's called Rock and Roll Nerd, Tim Minchin's documentary about like he just happened, his friend happened to be a documentary filmmaker and was sort of recording him when he became basically an overnight sensation. Yeah. Um, and Eddie Perfect's there right from the beginning. Yeah. Well, like from they're his, just really good Because well, they were both kind of like. They were doing the same thing Political at the same time. cabaret. Yeah. 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 They were really, there's not really any other, many other performers like them. No. Who've certainly reached the level of success yeah. that they have. So, yeah. So um, Eddie Perfect met John Bizzetti. Um, as an agent, and he then wrote King Kong the musical and Beetlejuice in very close succession. They yeah. actually opened a year apart. So yeah. He was pretty busy pretty quickly. Yeah, he had two sh- – I mean – Two shows. Two shows running on Broadway at the same time and premiered in the same mm. Broadway season. Yeah, it's just Which is crazy. kind of insane. It's insane. Yeah. Like that's a huge undertaking. Um, so the musical adaptation of Beetlejuice was in the works since 2016 um, – and Alex Timbers was um, attached to direct and was produced by Warner Brothers. Eddie Perfect came on board in 2017 along with Scott Brown and Anthony King as the writers and it was just a super quick development period. Yeah. Like that is quick. It um, The show commenced yeah. trials in 2018. Yeah, wow. So like just a year. There were some initial readings and cast was announced. As we've mentioned, Alex Brightman um, played Beetlejuice, so he was Dewey in School of Rock. Um, Sophia and Car- Anne Caruso was in it, Carrie Butler was in it, and Rob McClure. Yeah. <laughs> McClure. McClure, yeah. He's got such a good voice. Oh, and um, Carrie Butler and him oh, are both right? so talented. Yeah. So good. So then we move into the pre-Broadway tryout, which happened at the National Theatre in Washington, D.C. from October to November 2018. Yeah. That was directed by Alex Timbers, who's done just a ton of stuff that I'm not going to go into here, but that production did pretty poorly, according to critics. Yeah, it got like... Terrible, terrible. Reviews. It was properly panned. Um, Alec, the interesting thing about <clears throat> Alex Timbers, who I think, by the way, is an incredible director. Yes, incredible. Um, Peter and the a... Starcatcher is one of my favourite plays I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, he did an off-Broadway production of The Robber Bridegroom yes. that I saw um, with Stephen Pasquale. Um, Sorry, just a moment of silence for Stephen Pasquale. Pasquale. <sighs> uh, who was excellent in it. And, um, yeah, like he's just done some really – he did Rocky on Broadway, which, of course, was set in a, like a boxing ring. Yeah. Um, but he was the one who was atta- – he was directing Frozen and then – they Disney and him like had like artistic differences and, out, and yeah. he left the show. Yeah. But that I mean, I would have been fascinated to see his frozen. It would have been interesting. Yeah. A lot more interesting than what it turned out to well, be. Well, who knows? Sure. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that's Alex Timbers. 
Um, yeah, unfortunately the tryouts just, just got panned, but it had already been like, it already had a space on Broadway. So the winter garden theater had already been booked and it was just going there. So off it went from, um, it's tryouts. So then Beetlejuice premiered on Broadway at the Winter Garden Theatre, as I just said, with the same cast and creative team as the tryout, although there were a lot of changes made between right. the tryout and the opening on Broadway. It opened in April 2019 um, and it was going to be kicked out of the Winter Garden Theatre in June 2020. Producers were hoping to take it to another Broadway theatre, but after 366 performances and 27 previews, it closed on March 10th due to COVID. I'm going to talk a lot more about just the issue with it being kicked out of the theatre. Yeah. But before that, um, the show released a successful cast album and there is a national tour planned for 2021, uh, depending on what's happening on Broadway. And if there are any spaces in the theatre, it could reopen on Broadway. Um, but I, I don't see how, firstly, there are going to be spaces on Broadway yeah. and when that's ever going to happen. So... Like I said, I want to talk about the closing and some of the controversies around this production because it's super interesting. Um, critics were pretty meh on the production to begin with. Yeah. So like around the time you saw it, they said it was basically fun, it was big, bawdy, entertaining, like yeah. all of those things. Everyone agreed that it was funny and it was high energy, um, all the makings of a proper blockbuster. Yeah. It was nominated for eight Tony Awards at the 2019 Awards. Um, that was a Hades Town year, so it won absolutely nothing. Mm. And, uh, I mean, you know how I feel about Hades Town, but it just to win nothing. Yeah. Even like the set, I don't know. Anyway. I know. The actual show itself, so some things that I love about it, I think the lyrics are incredibly clever. Yeah. Like Eddie Perfect is a very clever lyricist. Yeah, so I have to say... My impression of him as a musical theatre composer, and I do think that he is getting better. Like, getting as it better, goes yeah. And the, I mean, King Kong we haven't really talked about, but it was very tricky because it kind of – it already existed as a show. Mm. He was brought in to rewrite stuff. Yeah. But then some stuff still existed from previous versions. Like it's it's a it's whole a clusterfuck yeah. of, you know. Yeah. Um, but with Beetlejuice, I agree. I think his lyrics are great. Yeah. I think it's his music that's lacking. I agree. I think when you listen to it, some of the songs are just a bit twee, like the yeah. actual the actual just a bit like instrumentation. Basic. Yeah, the, yeah. The chord structure, like it's all just a bit like, oh, am I listening? This sounds awful, but am I listening to like Grease? Am I listening to something yeah. that's just a bit meh? Yeah. And then other times it's it's really clever. Yeah. They're all enjoyable songs. Yes. There's just nothing easy really to listen to. Easy like to listen it's not to, hard yeah. to listen to. But when you listen to the lyrics, it just feels like the cleverness of that doesn't match the music at times. No, no. Um, the staging and the design of that production were excellent though. Yeah. Like really excellent and yeah. well-loved sort of universally. Okay, so controversy. So when Beetlejuice opened, it was definitely a really sluggish start and yeah. that everyone agrees on that and part of the problem is pacing. Critics have yeah. said like pacing at the beginning was just terrible, it was really slow to start. Um, it just struggled to find an audience right away and it didn't immediately look to be a financial success. No, like and the industry was like, oh, well, oh, Beetlejuice is going to come is and over. go. Yeah. That completely turned around though. Like that changed. It took off. It just didn't take off in time. So the Schubert organisation, which is one of the biggest owners of theatre, of theatres on Broadway, it's like a landlord pretty much, yeah. ordered Beetlejuice to leave the Winter Garden Theatre to make way for the Music Man revival, which is being produced by Scott Rudin and starring Hugh Jackman, like a proper bankable Broadway yeah. name. Um, the problem is when all of this went down, Beetlejuice was doing really, really well. It grossed nearly $1.6 million alone over Thanksgiving weekend in 2019. Yeah. It was a proper turnaround. A lot of people say it was after 
Like they performed at the Tony well, and, Awards. And yes, it was great and at the Tony great. Awards. And people were like, oh, shit, this this looks fun. We'll go yeah. see it. And it just like really blew up. Um, it was like at the height of its success when it was announced, it was getting kicked out. So, yeah, but my understanding is. I'm going to talk oh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, why. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty much the first time a successful show has ever been kicked out in the midst of its financial success. Yeah. We have discussed it before, but basically the Schubert organization invoked a stock clause on their contract, meaning that they could kick a show out if the gross takings fall below a certain amount for two weeks in a row. Yeah. And that happened. Like it happened in May of 2019 where Beetlejuice just fell consistently below what it was supposed to make. Yeah. And so then the Schubert organisation were like, no worries, out you get. So do you think they said it at that time? So they didn't announce it till June. Yeah, they didn't so announce it, but do you think it was like? Apparently Beetle- the producers didn't even know. Like oh. they, they were not even really aware until... So it was like quite a scandal that they weren't the Schubert organization when when the grossing when the gross did fall never approached the producers of Beetlejuice then to talk about oh. it. In June, then they were just like, "All right, goodbye." Like it's wow. pretty. It was a pretty quick. Okay. So it apparently just not really well approached. Um, so as I said, it rallied the Beetle produce the Beetlejuice. The Beetle Producers. The Beetle Juice Producers actually, after they were asked to leave, offered to pay for the costs of rehousing to kill a mockingbird from the Schubert to a smaller theatre so that the music man could move into the Schubert. Yeah. But um, it's to do with the size of their set, right? They can only be in, it's quite deep. Is that right? right? So they, Beetle Juice, it's going to be hard for them to find a new theatre because it is quite a deep set. So the Winter Garden's perfect for them and they were saying, well, can we put the Music Man somewhere else? Yeah. And they wanted to rehome To Kill a Mockingbird to put Music Man in Schubert. Because the Schubert's a great venue. That's right. But um, basically there was just no agreement made on the cost of that and they wouldn't agree on the price of moving To Kill a Mockingbird. Like no one would agree on that. Well, and I mean we've talked about Scott Rudin as a producer before, right? Like he is like. Just quite difficult. Yeah. So it's a real shame because like that would have been a great probably a great solution um the cast recording has been streamed over 100 million times and the show has built a really loyal fan base and particularly amongst first-time theater goers apparently so it's just apparently like people who love the movie will go see the musical love the musical and not typical theater yeah watches like and and probably can just really appreciate the the magic that is on stage the incredible high yeah. energy the great performers yeah and just maybe gloss over the fact that the songs are not incredible and it is just but also if they're not musical theater people right. they probably don't care as much that's exactly you know right I mean? and it is it is a really i think it has great fidelity to the film like yeah. it is it's just a good representation of the film yeah and for a lot of people that's really all you can ask for and i also think like even at that very first preview there was heaps of people dressed up for yeah. example yeah. like it's got that real kind of almost like comic-con yes vibe to the yeah. fans of the show well, Beetlejuice right? is such a popular film yeah like it really is yeah. and it's not I wouldn't call it like a mainstream popular film because it's qu- it's quite indie even yeah. for Tim Burton like it's one of his sort of not his most sort yeah. of um, successful movies but it's just got a very loyal fan base yes. and people who are happy to then go go to the theater which is yep. lovely so for the cast recording to be so successful is really cool and once again we talk about shows that get sort of acts before their time having a cast recording is really important yeah yeah um it's just a shame that obviously with COVID everything closed down, but that it's having to move because of the fucking music. Man. Yeah. Like, that's a bit shit. Well, and also because like I think what <clears throat> has angled a lot of Broadway fans is that the music man with 
Hugh Jackman, Sutton Foster, yeah. obviously very starry cast. Um, we'll do a limited run, like yeah. however long Hugh Jackman wants to stay in the show for. That's they might long, replace yeah. him with someone who gets some people but not as like exactly what they did with Hello Dolly with yeah. Bette Midler and then it'll close, yeah. right? Like there's no chance of that running forever. No. <laughs> That's right. And just the thought of like this is even though it's based on a film, it's an original musical, it's got yeah. like new music that we've never heard before. It's it's like the that it has to make way for something. We don't need to see the music yeah. man again. Like yeah. we just don't. It's yeah. anyway, yeah. so that shits me a little bit. Um yeah, so it's, I think it's shit that it didn't get to see its run out, COVID notwithstanding, but um, by all accounts there are issues with the show. Yeah. Um, but for most of its fans, But it's also not like enough if there's to, an audience, then there's that's an audience, right. you know. And, and for it to be so financially successful after having like a really bad start yeah. is awesome. Yeah, is exactly. In a really short time. Like yeah. it, was, it only had a couple of months before it was told it had to get out. Yeah. So just a bit shit. Um, okay, some gateway songs. Yeah. I haven't, I've only given two. I'll mention a third just in case, but I think, and we've mentioned it before, Dead Mum is a really good yep. song, just excellent. It's really well sung. It's yep. interesting and ent- entertaining. And it's one of the songs in the show that I think is just well written. Well, it's the, I'd say it's the catchiest song in the I show. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Um, I also, this is a cop out because it's not necessarily original, but I think their performance of Dayo, the Banana yes, Boat song, yeah. it's the act one ending. It's so good. And yeah. the harmonies are so bitching. And it's a great song. It's like they're being possessed um, by demons. And yeah, it's just really cool, fun. I think also you could listen to um, the whole being dead thing. Is which that is, the opening? That's the opening. Yeah. And there's a couple of different like parts. I think just the opening is good because it shows you to how high energy Alex Brightman is, how on earth he does that voice. I know. Well, apparently he did it. He did it with I think Liz Kaplan, like the like she's like the main Broadway vocal coach kind of thing. Oh, you would have to. And yeah. they like invented it together oh my god i don't know how it's sustainable yeah well apparently that like very specifically they have worked out a way for him to do it yeah yeah because when you listen to it particularly if you know anything about using your voice it sounds painful yeah and you think like this man cannot sustain that eight shows a week but it's he's very good yeah he's definitely not my style of performer like he's just too over the top he is over the top yeah but it's perfect for this role yeah yeah although if you're expecting like michael keaton it's very different from yes, that. Yes, yeah. But it's totally fine, I yeah. think. I think he does a really good job. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, so, yeah, listen to that. Look, the show is really fun. It's just a fun show. Don't take it too seriously. Don't think too long and hard about it. Like enjoy the magic of the set, enjoy the costumes, enjoy the ridiculousness of the story and the cool fucking songs that are mainly just good for their lyrics. Um, yeah, just enjoy, I think. Yeah, so I um, I th- this popped up on Instagram a little while ago, but I think in like an Instagram Live for something – Alex Brightman was like, the show's definitely coming back. Oh, like, awesome. uh, he made that comment, but then I didn't see any articles about it or anything. So I yeah. was kind of like, oh, I wonder if he said that when he wasn't supposed to or, yeah. you know, whatever. But I, I will say that, like, after COVID, you know, there could be a whole lot more mm. empty theaters for them to, I think to slot too, into. What's been interesting about having this COVID break is like people now have a lot more time to talk about this actual controversy. Yeah. And I think if, if theatres hadn't closed, it would have just been kicked out, Music Man would have popped in and we wouldn't have had time to talk about the true outrage of it yeah. having to be kicked out. Well, and a lot of people have been, because the Music Man just keeps announcing their opening date, I right? Know. Um, and one of the things is that they've announced a, or at least like the leads in Music Man, which is just all white, right? Yeah. Like just everywhere. It's like as white as the eye can yeah. see. And so um, 
I think people have also been quite critical of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, th- I think there's just a lot of, there's a lot of industry, problems. yeah, animosity. I do think too, like, people are just ready for Scott Rudin not to have a show, you well, know, like. To, just, to, just to be such a bully. Well, just, yeah, like, ride yeah. roughshod over everyone, like, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's Beetlejuice. Yeah, interesting. Hey. So what made you so- maybe regret it? Just that well, you, it wasn't as good as you sort of thought it was, do you think? Or I think so. I No, I really still like it. I think it's more just like it's not. It's not a musical that I would um, I would go out and watch multiple times. It's not yeah. something that I would consume for fun around yeah. home. Like I think you've got to watch it. Yeah. You have to see. So I watch clips and I have seen a bootleg. Yeah. Um, a slime tutorial. <laughs> I've watched a slime tutorial about Beauty Beetlejuice on Broadway. Um, and I think that's the best way to consume it. But it's not typical for me and it doesn't sit, like it doesn't hit anything emotionally in me. Yes. Not that that's bad. Like I, no. Like we've said, there's room for all sorts of entertainment and um, it's probably good that I'm talking about something that isn't typical or fucking evening primrose or something. But <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just oh, I, I think it could have been better yeah. and I think it's I just sort of want I want Eddie Perfect to find to hit his straps in a way that Tim Minchin did with like Matilda. Yeah. Um, so I want him to just find find a story or you know like a I style of love, music that really. I would love to see Eddie Perfect write a show with someone else. That think, is what I think. I think the, he needs and yeah. like and this sounds terrible. I think he needs a music writer. Yeah. Because I think, like I said, his lyrics are excellent, but he is a great musician too. Yeah. So he obviously has the instincts. Um, yeah, like it's and that's just where like, I'm like something's not there. He's getting better, yeah. but it's just not quite there yet, or something. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I, I really love him. I mean, yeah. um, I, the comedy band Tripod. He used to do a show yeah. with them called Perfect Tripod, where um, he would be the bass, right? Because yeah. he has his singing voice. He has this incredible bass yeah. singing voice. Surprising because he's quite a like slight man, but yeah, yes. I, like it's like so deep and rich it's yeah. beautiful and yeah he does these shows with them um which i saw several times when they were doing them yeah. and he's so likable he's yeah. such a good performer like josephine said he was in that television show offspring in yeah. australia like, yeah, he had like a recurring he had role. a real like i acting think career i think that's my biggest issue with it is that i just wanted i wanted him to do better this sounds yeah. terrible and not like well, I, also but as an australian right exactly like i've got a yeah. lot of pride for what he does and, yeah. and to make it on broadway is a big deal and so like i just want him to really find where he belongs yeah. there because I don't think he's found it yet. Yeah, I mm. agree. I agree. I still think that there's room for him to, yeah. to grow. That being said, I don't know whether anyone could have done a better job with Beetlejuice. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like he got so the, much to it. He got the attitude down, which Definitely. I don't think an American could have done. I agree. You know? I agree. Yeah, like yeah. I remember seeing this play some years ago called Hand to God yeah. um, and it was like it scandalised Americans. <sighs> it had this foul mouthed puppet in it that gets like possessed by a demon. Yeah. And Andrew and I went and saw it and we were like, this is not a big deal. Like as Australians, we're just swearing is not like we don't get scandalized by swearing. We don't get scandalized by that sort of talk, which I don't know, like Americans just genuinely seem to. Seem quite conservative, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. In that way. And and that's where he just, he wasn't afraid to go there with Beetlejuice because Beetlejuice is obviously quite adult in its its content as well. Like lots of swearing, lots of sexy stuff, sexual jokes and that sort of thing. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't know 
Because even something like Avenue Q, which does sort of cross those boundaries, it's still in a very kind of cheesy way. It's yeah. not it's not properly irreverent. You no, know? I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And he's good at that. Eddie Definitely. Perfect's really good at that. So, yeah. yeah, it's a funny one. I would like to see it again, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see it again. But I just – I do remember being disappointed when I saw it. Yeah, so I don't know. Go form your own opinions, people. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Hey, we've got some news to share, we don't do, we? We do, we do. Firstly, actually, before we go into our personal news, is I wanted to just acknowledge the incredible contribution of Rebecca Luca, who passed away. Oh, yes. Um, so sad. So sad. So she um, she was only, I think, 59. Yeah. Um, she was Maria in the Sound of Music revival in the late 90s. She was one of the um, early Christines in yeah, Phantom she was an early on Christine. Broadway. Just a really beautiful um, traditional soprano voice and um, a great presence. And she'll be sadly missed. So yeah. um, and, condolences uh, to Danny Burstein. Yeah, Danny Burstein, her husband, of course, also a, a beautiful a, performer. Incredible. And, and everyone, like, all the things that have been pouring out of the Broadway community are just that they were just such, they such are just such people. incredible people yeah. and so kind and, yeah. and giving and yeah. um, her and Marin Mazzi were great friends who of course we lost a couple of years ago yeah. and it's just so sad. But, yeah, she also died of um, we call it motor neuron disease it was in Lou Australia. Disease, but wasn't it? Lou Gehrig's or ALS is what they call it in America, yeah. um, which is just an, an awful degenerative yeah, um, neurological neuron, disease yeah. which um, does like gets you quite quickly and it's awful because like mentally you're still there but your body just goes. Yeah, it really attacks you. Yeah, so and that, it's, it's just it's tragic, awful. really yeah. tragic. So, yes, we, um, we'd like to acknowledge her yeah. contribution. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, so what um, Josephine was mentioning, so we're going to take a little bit of a break. Yeah. Uh, just a few weeks. It's, uh, it's the summer it's the the over here. It's the end of the year. We just need a bit of time to decompress and yes. not be always thinking about our next episodes. Yes, so I'm sure you're very sad, but also you understand that this year has been epic and we just need a bit of time to have a break. So we'll be back in probably three weeks. We've still got a mixtape coming out on Thursday, yes. so you can listen to that. Yeah, it, you will barely notice that we're gone. It's yeah. just going to be a couple of weeks of us having a break and you will see us for, I think we're going to call it season two. We're going to call it season two on the thing, but it's like episode 38. <laughs> 38 or whatever. Yeah, look, we didn't choose our numbers particularly well. 37 episodes per season. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely round number and I enjoy that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. thank you for a wonderful year, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. And, um, you know, you can always find us on social media in the meantime or send us an email at myfavoritemusical at gmail.com. I've had a lot of people say to me, like, oh, I'm having trouble, like, keeping up with all the episodes. You just release so many. So here's an opportunity for <laughs> yeah. you to catch up. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks, Ruth. Thanks, Josephine. Bye. Bye. Bye.